Coming up, as the questions around the offensive side of the ball may well into the season, one thing we know for sure, the Brooklyn Nets have a wealth of defensive value, starting first and foremost with Nicholas Claxton, and then potentially hanging right there alongside of him, one Ben Simmons. We break down whether or not this will be the identity of the Brooklyn Nets in the upcoming season next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, uh, yes, my friends, is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Nori. He's the owner-operator of DFSR. For all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. I'm Adam Armbrick, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast. My boy, Andy Mack, we thank you for making us your first listen today. We're free. On all those great platforms, let you know today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And Doug, we talked about the offense, and there was certainly a lot more questions on that end of the court behind Mikhail Bridges, behind Cameron Johnson. When we now flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, I think you and I are certainly a lot more bullish on potentially how good this unit could be for the Nets in this season. Oh, for sure. I mean, this side of the ball for the Nets is going to be, um, could be a real, it could, frankly, I'll just, I just won't even bear the lead. It could be elite. This could be an absolutely elite unit um, by the time the season is all said and done based on the personnel, based on just who they brought, even who they brought in, in the offseason, who, if they can get back, you know, cough, cough, Ben Simmons, like in, in terms of just uh, overall health. And then just who they're led on, with I the, think, Doug. <laughs> like led on with the back line uh, with Nick Laxon, who we'll get into here. But to start, but uh, overall, this this unit has easily top ten defensive potential. Could if things really break right, their ceiling is like top five defense in the league. Um, I can make a case why maybe it could be might be a little hard to get there, but like overall, there's no denying it on a overall personnel standpoint this on paper really should look like one of the best defensive units in the league and let's um i think let's frame it this way um and ask the question but as we get into nicholas claxton can nicholas claxton be the anchor of a top let's just say top 10 defense right can nicholas claxton as this roster is currently constructed with his skill set be the anchor of a top 10 defense Yes, I agree. Yeah. I think he can. Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> I think that like if you look at the strides that he made last season, just to start. I mean, I think he finished ninth in uh, defensive player of the year voting. He was at one point like third, I think, in, in terms of odds, but it dropped off sort of after the trade deadline. Your team needs to be like a lot better usually to be able to just uh, finish there. And so it was always going to be hard, I think, for him once the trades were made. And the team just mm -hmm. dropped off an overall skill. I think it was going to be hard for him to maintain just the overall sort of voting prowess. But in terms of just like absolute just defensive acumen and skill, Claxton is one of the better defenders in the league. Like he can, he's one of the best switch um, centers in all the league, if not the best. I like in yeah. just in terms of switch isolation, which you know the Nets are going to want to run 
almost solely based on the personnel that they have this season, right? It's going to be all switching all the time. That's what those are the guys they brought in. It's the guys they already had. And then if you just look at this, the block, the, the shot blocking, which reached a n- new level this season, uh, and just in terms of his ability to block shots and not just like these weren't just empty calorie block shots, which some guys have like the Hassan white sides of the world that are just going to kind of pile up blocks because it's dr- drop defense and it's like weak side help and like whatever. These were like body contortion, high degree of difficulty blocks over the course of the season that he had. I think when you add those two things in and just the motor that he has in the defensive end, I mean, how many times does this guy get techs, you know, over the course of the year, because the motors, like he wants to just, he wants to compete at that end. Yeah. I think for yeah. sure. Claxton is a guy that can lead or be the the key cog in a top, top flight defense. I think that's kind of already been proven. And it's interesting too, because I would say um, in the defensive category, so there's a couple of key things we talk about. By the way, the team overall, which was, <laughs> I think this is funny because I, I don't have exactly what Claxton's block average was. We know he had a long stretch there where he was averaging three blocks per game. The net is plus 2.3 in blocks per game. That was best in the league. Uh, and then, by the way, just because you tie in around how many times did he get text, but also like fouls in general and defensively speaking, that's we're also second in the league in a plus two and a half on the personal fouls. So defensive-minded team, defensive-minded player who doesn't typically struggle when it comes to getting into fouls. Key things that I wanted to point out when it comes to Nicholas Claxton's defensive game. Deflections. He's 80th percentile with 2.7. He's 93rd percentile on rim defense in the NBA. And also rim frequency, which is just to, I'm using this off of craftednba.com. The percent of opponent shot attempts at the rim where this player is able to contest the shot. 43.9% of the time, 84th percentile. Also his block percentage, just in case you were wondering, yes, it is the 99th percentile at 7.1%. Everything about his defensive game to go along with the versatility, the switchability is elite level. The point now it comes down to, I think, crafting the rest of the defense to help elevate every value that he has, right? Because you can make a case that Claxton has not had the right collection of players around him to make this easier. They weren't playing the right system, right? You need more guys that can switch, more guys that can be versatile, and that allows him to be that much more effective knowing he can go all the way back to the basket from one through five and also range out on the perimeter. And you can go on Claxton more here, but I think there's a direct one-to-one tie-in with another player that we keep we keep holding our breath about being a part of this tandem potentially. Yeah, we'll get into Simmons here in one second, but just to put a pin on that, like when it comes to Claxton, um, and this is why when you look at sort of like the – Sort of, it might not sound an existential crisis for the Nets, but going forward, even with him, is that like he's going to need to get paid sort of just on this skill set alone. Like, forget about yeah. even if the if the if the offensive game ends up coming around even more, right? And he's able to just even show more at that end, which he definitely showed more of this year, right? Like, so he already mm-hmm. improved significantly on both ends, but this skill set specifically on the defensive end for Claxton is so valuable because it fits so many different schemes for other teams too. Like other teams that need rim protection can already look at him and say, that fits kind of what we want to do, right? And if he can rim run a little bit better and if he can finish around the basket, again, which improved, like, you you know, think about how much body control he showed this season. Like, I think overall, there's a reason that the Nets are probably looking at the, into next season and saying, you know, this guy's going to, he's going to just get paid a lot more. 
because of the because of the way um, he's already played on defense. All right, I want to get into we're going to get into more of this because we got to get into Ben Simmons uh, and how the the overall fit between these guys. Get into just like what the overall team makeup looks like on the defensive end, which there's a lot to get excited about mm-hmm. uh, from this end of the court. We'll get into that in a second. First. And tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. Look, if you're taking your first swing at betting on MLB on FanDuel, you, you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. So just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. And here's the key. Win or lose, you got to like the way that sounds. It's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under, who you think is going to hit the first home run in baseball. So you got everything Sliced and dice every way you can ever imagine it uh, in terms of MLB betting, home runs, strikeouts, single doubles. Like it's all there for you and just bet the game like that's all good for you. You can also just go over and get some NBA action on FanDuel right now where our good friend Mikhail Bridges is the leader in terms of uh, most improved player in terms of odds going into this season. You got to like Woo! to see that. Give your friends over FanDuel a plug just for that one. Sign up today to visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Uh, you're going to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel's official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, so now we turn our attention to as we're talking about how good, how potentially elite could this defense be. It obviously starts with Nicholas Claxton and his continued growth. We then add into the possibility of one Ben Simmons getting back. And it's funny because we we briefly mention it when we talk about the offensive end of the floor. And I actually think that it, it matters specifically in one area when we talk about getting from the defense and transitioning to the offensive side. I just don't see how, you know, based on skill set, if you can put Ben Simmons on the floor with Nicholas Claxton, and I know that you have some numbers here that support this, the idea that having two non-shooters and and what that can mean offensively. I just think that there's this world where you go, yeah, well, the offense is in in shooting regards. That's somebody else's problem. We're here to do this thing at such a high level that you actually do trade that off from one end of the floor to the other. Look, for all of Simmons's sort of issues last season, uh, those were mostly at the offensive end. Uh, Like the defense pretty much came back uh, or was a much yeah. higher percent was a much higher percentage of back than the offensive end uh, was. And I, th- and I know like, you know, all the stuff around Simmons, all the stuff that's easy to put out there is him sort of looking timid and not finishing around the basket and just sort of looking, looking a problem in offense. If you watch them play defense, that was not the same. It was a tale of two different players. He was actively engaged. He was trying to pick up uh, some of the, the top options in the league. He was an absolute ball hound. He had major foul problems. I, I think actually the foul problems were more of just like a sort of over over exuberance and maybe just getting timing back, right? Like it was already super hard defensive mm-hmm. uh, aspects of his game combined with just like he hadn't played for basically a whole season. And I think that there was just times where he was over aggressive with the fouls. I think he had some cheaper ones kind of let times out of frustration. But overall, I think the fouling is something that you'll see improve kind of greatly here, especially when flanked by guys like, Bridges and Cam Johnson and some of these other long wings. When you look at Simmons, look, we're talking about a guy who was like up there in defensive player of the year stuff himself two seasons ago, three seasons ago. He finished third uh, overall in 2021 in terms of defensive player of the year. And he was like seventh the year before that. Like this was one of the top flight defenders in the whole league. No doubt about it. When he and Claxton played together, 
last season. It was about six, uh, five, more than 500 minutes. This is uh, about 511 minutes. The defense led by 112 rating. The offense is actually really, really good. I mean, this is more with KD and Kyrie, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. But overall, there's no chance that by the eye test, this doesn't work defensively, right? They're, like if these guys are like are, are even close, if Simmons is even close to healthy, you can just you can just see it. Like they're just too long, they're too quick. They can guard every every guy one to five essentially in isolation. Like how can those two guys not combine to be a, a top flight <laughs> right. defense? When, and, and when you put in the length of everybody else. Well, and that's a big part of it too, right? If you put these two guys as your baseline in this in this defense, and then you think about the Mikhail Bridges, and to to an extent, if he's going to be here, Dorian Finney-Smith, obviously as well, to go along with the Cameron Johnson, like it should open these things up. And the other thing that I think I find really interesting about this is when you look at, because I was mentioning some of those um, craftednba.com metrics about Nicholas Claxton. The versatility rating on Ben Simmons is through the roof defensively. Like he's ninety fourth percentile on that. I bring it up is because I actually think the benefit for Nicholas Claxton defensively as ver- as much as we know that he can take on anybody that you need to range out to the perimeter if asked to if you can put a Ben Simmons on the floor with him and allow Claxton because the difference between these two guys Claxton is by far I mean this isn't I'm not making a, a breaking news here by far the better rim protector of the two so if you can have Ben Simmons doing the out front switching right going and picking up some of the guard switches out at the top of the key and allowing Claxton to live a little bit closer to the rim, but then understand my versatility can go out range into the quarter corner potentially, right? Guys coming off the dribble when they're getting run off the line by a Dorian Finney-Smith, by a Cameron Johnson, by a Mikhail Bridges. I actually think that the more that you can isolate at least the baseline expectations, it's going to it's going to elevate both of their abilities to be effective, right? I mean, that makes sense as opposed to saying, well, Nicholas Claxton can do it all, but there's a point when you go, yes, he can do it all, but that's what gets him out of position sometimes. Not on his fault, but he's trying to cover everything, trying to be the only switching player in a lot of instances or the only high-level switching. And this is where I think the 27-game sample size is not enough to know how this team defensively wants to operate and at its highest level can operate. Yeah, they, and I agree with you. And basically what you're hoping for with this team is the length and the switchability plus the ability to protect the rim from at least Claxton and maybe some other guys that like some uh, mm-hmm. some weak side stuff is going to make it so, so difficult for other teams to even operate within their offense that you – because like if you look at even just the wingspans, uh, Dinwiddie – let's say this is our starting five. I don't think this will be it, but let's say it's – let's say a five million you. It's like Dinwiddie, Simmons – Mikhail, Cameron Johnson, Nick Claxton. Okay, he got some floor yeah. spacing issues for sure. Offense will be a struggle for sure. Defensively, every wingspan basically is six nine and above. Three of those guys are seven foot or above. They're all very, very active defensively, um, and they are they're very smart defensively too. And so among even even Dinwiddie, right among that group, like that will be really really hard. Like that will be really hard on other teams, especially if they all buy into this idea as like, hey, this is how we win. This because mm-hmm. offense is going to be a, a problem area. If the, if the the mentality is that this is how we win, this is our best chance to really make life completely miserable. Sort of like what you saw in the in the Philly series. I, I know I know Simmons wasn't there, but they did this to some degree with Philly. It was like we're going to be really annoying on defense. We're going to slow this game down. Like it's going to be super annoying. It's going to be hard for you to get into your sets and it was a problem for Philly at times when they were all bought into that. And that was without. 
arguably their second best or first best defender, depending on where you put Simmons, if he's back to some percentage of where he used to be, right? Like, I think I think we're going to have fun watching them on defense. I think it's going to be fun. Um, yes. I don't think there's any way it can't be fun if these guys are all sort of bought in. And the other factor, so the other thing I'll mention just specifically about Ben Simmons before we move on to the Mikhail Bridges, the Cameron Johnson, and and then the new additions like a, a Dennis Smith Jr. and how that impacts. Because for everything we talked about with the offense and I think what are open-ended questions, there's far more answers when you look at the defensive side of the ball and where they can improve themselves. When you think about um, looking at, at that, even the playoff series against Philadelphia, Remember, what were two things? One, Dorian Finney-Smith, who actually had some nice some nice moments defensively, I thought, did show a little bit more versatility than maybe I anticipated. To your point, whatever the starting five is going to look like, there's the world where Dorian Finney-Smith is not in that starting rotation anymore. Remember, there was a time when Royce O'Neal was picking up as a small, small ball five and trying to D up against Joel Embiid in the paint, right? So the Ben Simmons impact of being available game in and game out, like that's the trickle-down effect of how the assignments break down as you look down the roster. That, to me, is something that you cannot overlook when it comes to Ben Simmons. And the other one that I'll just throw in, because I know we're going to talk about the other guys here, um, the one big thing, this is defense and then getting a little bit going into um, going into the offensive side of the game just in terms of the transition and, and what it can mean as a passer for Ben Simmons. 99th percentile in a passer rating. So just if you're talking about two really defensive-minded guys that can be disruptive, a long team that can get deflections, get in transition, having your defensive catalyst in Ben Simmons be the trigger for the offense could be a really big boost for this team overall. We'll talk about everybody else. The Spencer Dinwiddie's, Dennis Smith Jr.'s, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson's of the world, and then confirm or deny. Can this team anchor itself as a defensive-minded first basketball team and win games going forward next season? We talk about that next. Okay, Doug, um, Nicholas Claxton is elite. Ben Simmons, if healthy and contributing, can be elite. Is this team being an elite defensive team good enough to have that be their sole identity and win basketball games? Because I think more than anything, that's what matters here. Okay, so as a sole identity, I think it'll make them very competitive. Um, I think as an identity, they still have such huge deficiencies. And one thing I'll add into this defensive piece, which is like a we've been talking about most of the superlatives here. There is a downside to this team that contributes to the overall defense. And that is the rebounding will continue to be a struggle. Like, and we've yep. seen this from, and it's mostly in that your defense is only as good as like full stops, right? I think this defense has shown the ability to get like good primary stops mm. and they have shown the inability to stop the next attempt, which is like the team's second chance scoring has been such a problem that, we talked yeah, about this actually, last year in the oh, not to cut you off in those 27 no. games. We talked about how like they're good defensively, but, but, but why are they still losing these possessions or why are they losing these games? Right? Because the, the first wave they're locked down, but it is that, that offensive rebound, the second chance opportunities that they just could not get over the hump of that. And that's what it's right. It's like, it's those things. It's like the second chance opportunities. This, this team has been among the worst in the league season over season with this stuff like they, they cannot defensively rebound they can't offensively rebound and then when you can't do both those things you you are going to allow these second chance points that are just complete and utter backbreakers and we've seen this i mean mm -hmm. everyone out there listening has 
some version of PTSD from this. Like, and <laughs> these things are always highlighted a little bit more with your own team because you're going to see it more. And this is like, right, because it's always these backbreaking moments. You're just going to think, oh, God, another tip in, another second chance point, another great defensive stand and a long rebound. The stats are just right in line with the heartbreak here. The Nets have yep. been horrible at this, horrible. Like one of the worst teams <laughs> in the league. So I think like that, I don't know how that was really addressed unless you think Simmons's rebounding ability takes them over the hump right and maybe it is mm-hmm. he's a good re- he's a very good rebounder so it should it, it certainly won't hurt but in that is a problem but everything else though like that's the one problem everything else we've mentioned the length of those other guys i mean we can talk about dennis smith jr too like this defense i hate to say like except for that miss lincoln how was the play but like the um like in just in general Everything else lines up. I, I do get uh, real quick before we get to these other guys. Are you worried about mm-hmm. the rebounding aspect, like breaking into like their overall just great first stand and couldn't deal with the the, the volley back and forth? Well, I, well, yeah. I mean, how could you not be right? I mean, I think it'd be it'd be like intellectually dishonest to say this thing that the organiz- organizationally they have struggled with, regardless of any iteration of their team over the last five years, they've always had this particular issue. So, yes, it is a concern. And again, when you had superstars, that that changes the entire dynamic of things, and it should have looked better along the way there. But you and I often talked about how the Nets, what the Nets lacked was, and we we you highlighted Dayron Sharp as being just like an energy dude, a dude that's just hungry for the ball. You needed more of those guys when you had these elite superstar level talents. What I will say is, if I wanted to try to push back, I will look at Dennis Smith Jr. And I'll say the two things we already mentioned about that length defensively. Now, Dennis Smith Jr. is not the biggest guy in the world. However, 95th percentile in deflections defensively, right? He does have a a defensive identity. And how about this for one? He's 92nd percentile in rim defense. Yeah. Which is so what it tells you is as a guard, he has the ability for footwork to stay in front of assignments, to take them all the way to the basket, and to impact shot opportunities. Now, this is getting away from the rebounding aspect of things. However, I do think that what you've seen here in the offseason and the potential of putting Ben Simmons back into this lineup is that the one-on-one assignments, again, the, it, the versatility is going to create, in theory, easier defensive rebounding opportunities, right? Instead of it being sometimes what I feel like was a scramble where yes, you're versatile, but then when Claxton goes away from the basket, who's getting that rebound? Now I actually think Nicholas Claxton, Ben Simmons, would be in line in several instances to say, can you beat a one-on-one box-out opportunity to grab that rebound? Those opportunities were not nearly as frequent with the way they were running last season and the lack of defensive value you had from guys like and like Harris, right? We talked about what you lost offensively in those two players. This is yeah. about everything you gain in the replacements you've brought in for them. For sure. The push and pull with this is that, right, those guys, those three-point shooters that are going to space the floor were defensive sieves, and we're never going to give you really anything on that end, whether it was cleaning anything up off the glass, cleaning anything up in, 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 in the paint. Like, they weren't, there was nothing happening on those end for those guys. They were negative. They were yeah. massive negative. So you do get a lot. You're yeah, right. There was the, something happening. It was just not good or helpful in any way, shape, or form. Right. And go look. And there's plenty of these. If you're not, like, if you haven't watched Dennis Smith Jr., you can find just, like, defensive-only highlight reels from him. Like, that doesn't yeah. exist for every guy. Like, you can find defensive-only, ball-stopping, like, just at – um sort of rim protection for a small guy. There's a reason people just like nationally talk about him as one of the best point of attack defenders in basketball. It's just true. Right. Um, And it's a kudos to him to kind of like, you know, 
put your, you know, plant your flag around that part of your game. So even bringing him off the bench for like 15 minutes or less, right? You're going to, you know, you're going to get high, high intensity defensive efforts for a guy that's already going to be able to play the system you want in terms of switching everything. So I think we're going to watch this defensive unit. And go ahead. And then I can say something else. But Jay, what are you going to say about Dennis Madrid? No, no, because I just wanted to make sure that we touched on something that was important um, when it comes to the highest level guys, guys we talked about offensively. Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson. Coming out of Phoenix, they, they were considered to be strong, defensive-minded players, and you can hone in on that craft when you're not the number one or the number two of an offensive system. Do you think that their ratings, which slipped on that end of the floor, do they come back up now with some of these additions? Because even specifically to Dennis Smith Jr. and beyond that, um, the, the Smith Jr. of it, means that Mikhail Bridges doesn't have to get sucked into maybe, you know, more difficult switching matchups with guards, quicker, smaller guys on the ball. Like, I do believe that if you want to be elite, we're talking about being elite, Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson also have to get back to what was closer to 110 defensive ratings as opposed to 114s when they came over to Brooklyn. Well, I think like no matter which way you put it, if the, if let's say Mik- if Mikhail Bridges is your third best defender, your defense is awesome, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that's the way to. I think that's probably like the, really like, good, the yeah. holistic way to look at it, right? It's like if Cameron Johnson's your fifth def- best defender or sixth best defender, depending where you put it, where you want to put like Dorian Finney-Smith or Dennis Smith Jr. Like your team is really good defense. There's no other way around it. Like you can make yeah. mistakes, and like if those guys are not being relied on because in Phoenix, Mikhail Bridges was their best defender. Right. And that was basically, you know, best ISO defender and best, you know, he picked up the toughest assignments when you don't have to do that because you're not the best guy. That's great. It doesn't make you less great. It just means that the defense around you is is so good. So I think no matter which way you kind of put it, really, the nets are going to be, the nets are going to have so many, so many different five man combinations for this team that are going to have so many plus defenders in the court at all times that, there's just no way the math doesn't work out around it based on just who yep. they have. And I think that's sort of like what you're really pinning your hopes to, at least for this team right now, is that no matter what, this defense is going to be super annoying, very pesky. Mm-hmm. And if they can just get the rebounding cleaned up just even a little bit, because here's the thing, you don't need to be a great rebounding team to be a great team. Like, right. The high, like the highest rebounding percentage team in the league last year was like the Rockets. Now that a lot, some of that's pace and stuff like this, but it's not like I don't, I don't think rebounding is correlated the highest. But you can't be horrible mm. at it, <laughs> right? Like right. you can't, you, you just can't be horrible. You don't need to be great, but you can't be horrible. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree with you, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how this team defensively anchors itself and something that we didn't bring up offensively because we have more concerns than maybe you know, upside positives. Um, I do look at this team now as constructed and say, Hey, second unit on second unit, right? Like some, some of that bleed over there, it, that may end up being where they win in the margins in these games of when it comes to the second unit for the other team, our defense is versatile enough, right? We, we can be switching enough where we're so suffocating that that's where we claw back into games when we're trailing by five to seven, right? We pummel your unit. Your second unit is not as nearly as good as our defensive depth that we can throw at you wave over wave. And that may be the path forward for this team, something that we will discuss when we look at um, in this week, the win total projections for the Brooklyn Nets and how they can get over that hump next season.
All right. In the meantime, make sure you are subscribed to Lockdown Nets over on YouTube as we push towards 6,000 subscribers over there. Totally free to listen. It really helps us. If you're just listening on the podcast feed, subscribe to wherever you listen. Free there as well. Those are the two best ways to help out your boys. Subscribe to Lockdown Nets on YouTube. Subscribe to wherever you listen to the podcast. Fry, it's been years since medical school. So remind me, disemboweling in your species, fatal or non-fatal? That's Dr. John A. Zoidberg from Futurama. One of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball, basketball.